0: Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Carrie Plitt, here with my co-host, Octavia Bright, and we're so excited to be here for a live recording of Literary Friction at Jewish Book Week. Wow, Wow. (laughs) listen to that live crowd. What energy, what excitement. Hi, Octavia. How
1: are you doing? Hi, Carrie. Good. I'm very excited
0: to be here in front of such
1: a massive live crowd. Yeah. Giant. (laughs)
0: Um, So uh, we have a really fabulous author here with us as well, and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind introducing her. Of course. With pleasure. So we're being joined by Yelena Moskovich,
1: who is a Ukrainian-born American-French artist and writer. And Virtuoso, which is the book we're going to be talking about, is her second novel. Um, Yelena was born in the former USSR and emigrated to Wisconsin with her family as Jewish refugees in 1991. After graduating with a degree in playwriting from Emerson College in Boston, she moved to Paris to study at the Lecoq School of Physical Theatre and later gained a Masters in Art, Philosophy and Aesthetics from Université Paris 8. Her plays and performances have been produced around the world and her work as a visual artist has been exhibited at Queer Biennale Los Angeles, where she has also served as a curator, but uh, she's here in very firmly authorial voice today to talk to us.
2: A multi-talented Thanks so much for joining woman. us, Thank Yelena. you guys so much for having me.
0: Uh, yes, so for the next hour, and we literally have a clock counting us down here and we cannot 57. go beyond our hour,
1: um, we will be
0: interviewing Yelena, giving some book recommendations as we usually do on the podcast, and then we will open it up for the last 15 minutes for questions from the audience, so please um, save any in your head that you have. Um, But first, we've asked Yelena to start with a reading. So would you mind setting it up for us and going ahead? Sure. I
2: would love to. So Virtuoso is a surreal novel that weaves multiple storylines of queer women in uh, communist Czechoslovakia that's becoming post-communist Czech Republic, in Paris, and in the American Midwest. Um, So uh, there are three main storylines that are sort of weaving around each other, but I'm gonna read uh, the main one, which is in the Czech Republic. And it's these two friends, Zorka and Jana. So Zorka is this uh, unruly, delinquent uh, child that's always getting trouble with her family, the neighborhood, the authorities. Um, And Jana on the exterior is this good girl, but on the inside is a discreet dissident in her own right. And so they sort of bond uh, when they meet each other at six in their Mutual transgression. So I'm gonna read a bit. Um, This is from Zorka's point of view And so the novel changes point of views uh, from time to time But this one is Zorka's point of view and a bit of uh, their childhood Fuck We were teens and it was tough. I Got my period before Yana, despite being as flat and skinny as a birch tree. So yeah, I bragged a little then Yana got her soon enough, right on her birthday. And our country, the former Czechoslovakia, split. I told Jana her ovaries burst and cracked our nation in two. Ha ha. That new year, people danced a little harder as the snow dusted down the black sky. Yanka and I were both sitting under the table, our heads touching the top when we sat up straight. So we hunched and chatted and snuffed at anyone who told us we were too old to be sitting under the table on New Year's Eve. All the adults were so involved with their own bodies. They danced with closed eyes. Then Slavic's popka plugged in the strobe light that Slavic had got him, and everyone swiveled around the thick rays of white, yellow, green, blue. I climbed out from under the table and stood there, wanting to run around their legs like the Mala narcissus that I was, Oh, I could feel it swelling up in me. I could have even given my P-trick a go, but that stunt was old news. Yanka climbed out and stood next to me. She pulled out her hand, and I reached it and took it. We were anonymous pillars, standing the test of time. I followed my momka into the shared kitchen and stood behind her until she turned around. Her eyes flashed. It's not what you think, she said and began to feign rubbing a stain out of her dress, then stopped and looked up at me and said, if you must know, your father is going to die. She took a breath and I kept looking at her, so she said, he is ill and he's going to die young and I will be left all alone. Her eyes began to heat up, then she grabbed her skirt again and began rubbing like sparking the fabric against itself. It's awful, awful, the diseases that climb into your body and putrefy the organs. You think, oh, it can't happen or to somebody else or later, but it swells right up inside you, deep inside, making room for itself until you're wheezing for mercy. Then she just stopped talking. I knew what it was. My index finger was high and snug in my nostril, grabbing at something promising. She slapped my hand out from my face and screamed, don't pick your nose when I'm explaining death to you. You're almost a woman. My nail scraped, scraped the inside of my nostril and a ring of blood and some nose hairs pulled out. My mamka looked at my finger, then at my face, then pulled me into her chest with a frantic grab. My forehead bumped into her collarbone Yeah, she was trying to hug me. She began murmuring in a silky voice, please, 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 my love, don't be weird. She let go of me and walked back towards the party. At the doorway, she stopped. Two men shouted her name at the same time. She bent her knees and shook her ass, holding the sides of the door, then propelled herself forwards, and was dancing inside the strobe light colors that were tearing holes into the room. Everyone danced like bodies being resurrected in gunfire. I licked the blood off my finger and told Janka to come dance with me.
0: I love that you started with fuck. That's very in the I, tradition I of, to, yeah. of literary fiction. So <laughs> yeah. Well done. Um, so thank you for that reading, which I think gives a really great sense of some of the things going on in this novel, it's quite surreal, it's funny, it's um, lots of strong different voices. So Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you first, just for, especially our audience members who won't have read the book yet, Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about what this book is and and how it took shape for you?
2: Yeah, well, the thing is, I, I feel like I, with every book, I sort of discover it almost as much as the reader and then in the drafts I shape it. So um, the way that the book kind of came to me was actually through Zorka and Yana and that's why I kind of wanted to open with that section. And one of the first, uh, you know, I, my background is in theater so I um, really love finding the character and following them and seeing what happens. And with Zorka, the, the first thing that I saw of her um, is her eyebrows. And in the book, Yana, her friend says, Zorka. She had eyebrows like her name. And for me, from then on, I saw exactly who she was and, and sort of what she had to do um, in, in her childhood and where she was pulling towards. Um, and, but from there, um, so <clears throat> the two friends kind of get separated and Jana uh, ends up, being an interpreter um, and translator in Paris working for a medical supply um, export import translation. Um, And that's where she's gonna cross paths with the other uh, storyline, Amé, who is the daughter of a prominent um, doctor who's also speaking at this um, trade fair that she's at. Um, And at the same time, you have these conversations that are happening um, in this lesbian chat room where this Midwest teen and this Czech housewife that's from a small town right outside of Prague where they happen to make, I'm not gonna to give too much away, where they happen to make a certain medical product that's being shipped to Paris. Um, and so this housewife and uh, young girl meet online and start to have a relationship. And sort of cross-referenced, cross, cross referenced, I guess, throughout these stories are these, um, I would say other dimensions of reality um, one of them is this bar called the Blue Angel uh, that holds people that are living and maybe in other ways of being, you could say dead or, or in other ways of being. Um, and also the presence of angels and archangels that sometimes intervene indirectly.
0: That's a great synopsis <laughs> of the book. I couldn't have done it any better. No, you nailed it. <laughs> um,
1: um, as you said, it spans lots of different locations, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the former Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republic, mm-hmm. Paris, parts of the states, was and just listening to you describe how Zorka led you through yeah. the narrative. Did she take you to those places as well? Did you always want to write something that was crossing international boundaries yeah. in that way?
2: I uh, I feel like the sort of the crossing international boundaries is just the my my natural state of being. I think I would have a really hard time sticking to one location just because I've moved around a lot and I am sort of a product of crossing boundaries and also it's um, in terms of just a topic something that really interests me um, beyond geographical boundaries but also um, in terms of these women and these queer women um, crossing boundaries from the identity that you're sort of given or expected to have or to grow into and the boundaries within that identity that you're going to cross to um, try to find your authentic self.
1: Yeah, and, and as you say in this book, also you were crossing into cyberspace, yeah, as yeah, well as, yeah. you know, which I loved. For me, it was, I got such a kick out of the chat room <laughs> scenes. I don't know if any of you remember chat rooms, AOL, all that stuff, but there's something wonderfully nostalgic about it, mm. which is crazy also to think that that's not so much in the currency of the way people are living their lives now as well. Mm. But was that a fun mode of writing? Did you enjoy getting into that space?
2: Yeah, well, like I said, my background is in theater, um, writing and directing. So I actually really loved discovering the internet chat room um, form, because for me, it really was like a play, you know. Um, You you didn't have emojis then, so you had to just asterisk write all your actions. So it was these like basic stage directions that you're having with dialogue. And it's almost this, you know, like ethereal hotel somewhere, because you start out with a communal chat room, and then you can go private with someone and so you can go into like a different room. And so it's this like either hotel or apartment building where you can like enter one room that's like a communal room, go into a private room, go into a different room. Um, and yeah, it felt a bit like on-site theater to me. So I enjoyed exploring that.
0: Yeah, and it was, um, I-, I love how you explored the language that people use on the internet, mm. which is somewhere between writing and, Speaking, um, and especially the the language that these characters use to represent themselves, um, and that mm-hmm. felt like a theme throughout the book. But I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, places in this mm-hmm. novel, which you know, obviously we have the place of cyberspace, but I think you give a really sort of visceral, real um, feeling for the different places that the characters are in this novel, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hate to do the thing where I then talk about a writer's backstory and and say, (laughs) well, you, but, but Mm -hmm. you, you know, you were born as, as Octavia was talking a little bit about in, in your intro, you were born in the former USSR in Ukraine. Um, your parents were Jewish refugees who moved to the States. Um, Mm -hmm. you did a degree in Boston. You Mm -hmm. now live in Paris and a lot of those Mm -hmm. places crop up in this Mm -hmm. novel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I wanted to know, what do you draw from, in your experience and what do you draw from in your imagination when you're depicting places, especially because this is such a surreal book yeah. and it's such a dreamlike book?
2: Yeah. Well, I've, I think places is, is all about imagination. So I, I, I wouldn't know unless, uh, you know, you're talking about specific accuracy, um, but even the colors of the doors change where you're from. So like, what does it mean to um, geo-specify places and especially um, coming from, for example, I was born in Soviet Ukraine, which is now independent Ukraine. So even, you know, having this like, so, and my my original Soviet passport is handwritten and it says nationality Jewish. So it's like from a country that no longer exists with a nationality that's not a nationality. Um, and then now actually I'm French and American, neither of which are I'm blood related to. Um, so I think it's, um, I think, even if we look at how we live, it's quite creative and imaginative, um, those identities that come up. So I think, for me, it's the, it's the same sense. Like, if you kind of think about a place slightly out of focus, you'll sense how bizarre it is that anyone is French or American or that you could have very well been born somewhere else and speak a completely different sonoral palate. And it does not come from an intrinsic, part of you or a soul that entered a body. That is, that is just our like the imagination of this, civil, this civilization.
1: Yeah, it's a really liberating way to think about identity, yeah. actually. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because it means that you can make choices when I think yeah. it's easy to think that you can't. Right? You, these identities are stamped upon you by the culture that surrounds you. And you actually do reach a moment where you can say yes or no to certain elements yeah. of them. Um, I love the fact that you take us through Zorka's eyes um, to a really searing critique of capitalism, <laughs> which made me personally very happy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and she says in, in her voice in your writing, she says, "True capitalism is all about names on stuff." Yeah. And there's just just for anyone who hasn't read the book yet. There's a scene where she's arriving in America and she's noticing everyone's got all of these labels on their clothes. And actually, none of us here tonight are very good capitalists. (laughs) But um, it really stood out to me. And it's something that made me think about how, again, we just accept the surroundings that we're in without questioning them Mm -hmm. until we read something that makes us reframe it slightly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wondered if that was always an intention, if you wanted to to bring up this tension between a character who grew up in a former Soviet Mm -hmm. country and then came to, you know, the, the big daddy of all capitalist endeavor. Yeah. Um, I think we
0: just lost a capitalist audience yeah, member. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: I wouldn't say it was my, like, uh, uh, on the forefront of my consciousness. But, um, yeah, I just, I think it's, um, I don't know, it's it's sort of having characters lead the way and, and having them uh, be confronted, like having them be sort of the, the innocent clown that then will reveal the both like innocence and, and, and cruelty that is complacent in that environment. So like nothing is pure. So it wasn't, uh, why I say that it wasn't to, you know have a critique on capitalism or communism or anything like that, but um, more to talk about structure and different forms of structure, um, and especially from a person, you know, that's coming from uh, the last generation of the post-Soviet era that um, had such an imposed structure from a civilian level to a governmental level, uh, and then going to this sort of like free world that is supposedly not supposed to have that. And also, but all she can do is find familiarity. So she finds levels of that similar structure, structure. So it's in a way, um, she did it quite organically, but then when I read it over, I was like, huh, that's, it's an interesting way to, to look at the, I guess, the different structures, um, the way that they sort of ebb and flow in,
0: into each other. Hmm. And I did want to ask, seeing as we're at Jewish Book Week, yeah. um, do you feel that your Jewish identity or nationality, um, <laughs> as it has been defined, informs your writing at all?
2: Um, I think um, I think my otherness absolutely informs my writing. I mean, your otherness informs everything that you do. Um, and I think the... Um, I mean, I did... The thing that uh, I'm still getting there, but it's sort of when you have various other identities, like to be you know, a queer person, and also a Jewish person, and also maybe in between certain cultures. Like, I'm not really French, I'm not really American, I'm not really Soviet Ukrainian. Um, yeah, you just sort of finding, finding where you can sit in yourself um, and hold all those identities and still feel quite free and, and agile to move around. Um, so I, Yeah, I've been finding a lot of warmth more and more um, from my Jewish identity as I'm being able to sort of discover it on, on my own terms and discover how nicely it fits with all my other identities. And there was actually no conflict there where when I was growing up there was a lot of conflict that was between my identities. You couldn't necessarily be Jewish and queer, or even be Jewish at all, or queer at all. Um, so I think it's more along those terms.
1: Yeah, it's like a lifelong project integrating all those yeah. different elements, isn't it? Um, slightly different tag, but I wanted to ask you about the other writers and thinkers that crop up in the book, because yeah. it's full of references yeah. Some of, to some of the people who I knew and some who I didn't know, mm. and I, I, I really enjoy that. I enjoy books that draw from the traditions of literature of many different cultures and languages, but yeah. just as examples Moliere pops up and Beckett and Goethe, yeah. so like yeah. three pretty big hitters. Yeah. Um, and I wondered, you know, were you informed by those writers in particular yourself or were you reaching for them for other reasons? Yeah.
2: Well, not particularly by those writers, but I think um, anyone that maybe comes from Russian or Slavic culture, there's just this uh, tendency to always be quoting literature and, and work. and so. Um, and I grew up in a household where my mom was constantly, um, you know, reading poetry out loud or quoting this or that. And also, when I was young, I was sort of made to now. Now I do it willingly, but I had to memorize Pushkin and, and read it to her. And I had like so, um, and that was just it, kind of like fit as part of the day, like before your bath, say Pushkin. Um, so, I, and I really love that structure because you go from this, you know sort of banality, almost like a profane way of living, not morally profane, but I mean quite prosaic, um, into like very divine or sublime spaces that you can have by extracting these um, really beautiful lines that other people have have given, you know, like these verses of poetry or uh, from plays or the other things that I quote, or thinkers. Um, and so I like that space where sort of the sublime and the prosaic can coexist and that was what i was trying to recreate
1: yeah i think yeah. i think you did it beautifully and it also seems to again play into that project of identity yeah. where we can reach for help from other people who've trod, yeah. trod the boards before us basically and you, yeah. you can pick it up and then discard it as well as yeah. you evolve and change yeah. very pro-change
0: yeah. <laughs> um yeah and uh, well Speaking of identity, you know this is a book about women mm-hmm. um, having relationships with other women mm-hmm. and I really loved that about this book and, and, um, and I think it's a, it, I think I could describe it as a queer book yeah. you know, definitely. Mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if you always wanted to bring that out and how you sort of think about writing queerness.
2: Yeah. I mean I, I, I can't really say I was thinking about writing and I just
0: wrote what I wanted to
2: write. Yeah. Um, but I did think about it. What, I think writing queer characters had a lot to do with my own level of comfortability with my queerness. Um, I, and there were two there was my comfortability in a, in a private way and my comfortability in a public way because, you know, the book is more in the, in the public uh, realm. Um, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I just really want to read more. Uh, stories i or any stories really if anyone has recommendations of post-soviet queer women i don't know i didn't find any and that's i i wanted i wanted to write something
0: that i felt uh, was really lacking for me yeah um and also, I think you write really well about the body. You write, you you write very viscerally, and you write really great sex scenes, which is really hard to do. I mean, as to I, I think anyone who reads a lot will feel that way. So I wonder if you have any. How do you write sex scenes? I don't want to make you get too into it, but do you have any rules or like how do you recreate that experience? Interesting
2: question. I don't. I would say probably like the same tips would apply to like how to have good sex. Like you just be vulnerable and yeah. let go and uh choose someone that you can trust
0: <laughs> and then have have fun. Yeah. <laughs> <I will say. laughs> so down. so <laughs> who do you, who are you trusting in this situation is it your characters? Uh
2: yeah, well also the yeah, I would say I'm trusting the circumstance, the circumstances that I've put, in, put them in and um, my contact with them. So sometimes I haven't gotten to know a character well enough for them to let me in to, to get to know how they would do something like that, which is quite vulnerable. Um, and so if I write it and it feels a bit, uh, I don't know, not, not unique to them, I think, okay, maybe I need to get to know them a bit more because they're just not opening up to me in that way, which is
1: logical. It's so nice to hear you talk about it that way, because I think so much of the bad sex I've read in literature has been written by male writers, which is, you know, (laughs) not to say all of it, but a lot of it. Um, And I think often it's partly because there's a sense that they're not um, approaching a sensuous experience of their characters. They're not thinking of their characters as fragile sexual beings in that moment right they're Mm -hmm. just like I'm writing a sex scene because I want it to turn people on Mm -hmm. or I want to make a point or I want it to be shocking in some Mm way Um, whereas in this narrative it always feels very holistic and very considered and very natural which is yeah what really stood out for me as well I think it's it's great and I mean there's also the fact that Queer sex is still transgressive. We live under heterop- yeah. heteropatriarchal capitalism, which our regular listeners will know is one of my favorite <laughs> buzzwords. <laughs> um, but it's true. And in this yeah. system, it is somehow still feels slightly transgressive and slightly revolutionary to read yeah. about women having sex with women in a way that is not uh, shocking, you know, yeah. in a way that is just about extending the sense of a character and, and understanding somebody yeah. better. Um, but there feels like there's a lot of transgression in this book of many different kinds. Um, and, you know, I wonder if, if there was... Well, Zulka ends mm. up being quite a punky character, doesn't mm. she? And you go into spaces of mm. quite illicit transgression, like mm. the nightclubs and stuff that mm. you describe so viscerally. I, you know, it was great. I felt like I was there. Was La Pulp in Paris a real club, by the way? Uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, went, I used to go. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember. So I was like, I swear I've been to this place. Yeah. We used to be a woman who wore red braces and nothing else, who used to wander around. Anyway, it was <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, the, the energy of transgression in the book is something that I found, yeah, really drove it for me. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if there was any sense of trepidation around that for you, or it was just part of the engine.
2: Yeah, no, I think that was that was a thing that I felt, that was really pulling me along. And I think, you know, sometimes I in terms of like the Yana and Zorka dynamic, I think I grew up a lot more like Yana. I was uh, like, I really treasured being obedient and helpful and useful and quiet when I need to be quiet and do as I want to be told. um, But inside inside of me just built up this, you know, like I just just wanted to break the structure. Um, And I really wish I had someone like Zorka at my side. Um, and, yeah, so I think it, that, I think that experience is not just for people that have grown up either under communism or under, or under a structure that's a bit restrictive. I think it's something that um, a lot of young people, especially young women, especially young queer women, um, feel. And so I wanted something that feels really invigorating and empowering and even though that's not necessarily how... We were as young, but when we were young, but um, that was the spirit that's in there, and it's not too late. There's like something about that that energy that wasn't wasted. Like there's a moment, you know, where the two girls are sort of saving their spit because they don't want the words that they can't say to go to waste. So there's these like other ways to to save this transgressive energy that maybe wasn't allowed to be expressed.
1: And also, children have a a power for transgression that we yeah. we lose access to a little bit as we grow older i think because yeah. we become more fearful and and responsible for other things and there's it's not so easy to press the fuck it button right whereas yeah. children are living in that constant energy of, of just, I must I must push a boundary, mm-hmm. I must push a boundary. Yeah, yeah which is, it's great to tap back into that, I think, with, within reason and yeah. in safe environments.
2: They <laughs> yeah. also have, I mean, it, they have such, you know, they take things at face value in a way, but then they also have this immense imagination. So um, that also produces this weird, um, this eeriness about the way that they're interpreting life, about the way that, you know, in this, there's a section where there oh, there's, you know, girls that are disappearing and getting molested, and the way that they're interpreting what's happening is, it's almost this kind of, like, gothic way of looking at it, like, wait, do I want to be molested? Is this something that we want? Because they're trying to figure it out. Like, what, is, what does this mean? Because there's so much attention being given to that. And so there's all these um, traumatic things that are being interpreted in such imaginative and innocent ways. And I think that's also an interesting kind of factor of the childhood.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think you really bring out the childhood a sort of Soviet childhood, especially. And you you talked about this book as being post-Soviet. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, how you think about what it means to be post-Soviet, and both in yourself and in your writing, and also just in a more general sense.
2: I think it's quite logistical for me. It was just that I lived in the Soviet Union, and now I don't. (laughs) But um, I think it's, yeah, just anyone really of my generation that uh, grew up in the Soviet Union or in a country, because uh, the Czech Republic wasn't part of the Soviet Union, but they had so many decades of Soviet domination that um, it left a, a, a huge mark. Um, and yeah, so I, 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 and it's also for me, because it's different, because some people grew up in that and have stayed there, but it's that clash between the East and the West and between this kind of like, it wasn't even commun- this failed communism and this like sort of euphoric, like you're free now, celebrate capitalism or democratic socialism, depending on where you ended up, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and um, I've got a question about okay. David Lynch, Yeah, yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> quite a few
1: critics yeah. have described the book as, as Lynchian, meaning David Lynch, the filmmaker, um, who's known for obviously this very dark and surreal universe. And you have this space, the Blue Angel mm-hmm. bar, which reminded me a little bit of the Red Room Mm-hmm. In uh, oh my God, what's it called? The series, the matter. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Twin Peaks. Um, but I wondered how you felt about that. About that comparison, was it, is it something that you like? People have noticed, or do you feel uncomfortable about it? Yeah,
2: no. I mean, I'm very happy to have that comparison. I really enjoy his work, and I think you know people need references to be able to steer themselves um, towards uh, an experience or a taste that's that's going to be meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good indicator. Um, But I also hope that, I mean, I hope and I think that readers will find that it's quite distinct in the way that it plays with uh, reality and dimensions from David Lynch, but we share that interest in in playing around with those dimensions, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it also says a lot about the style that people are making comparisons with a filmmaker, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. because it is because it is so visual. Yeah. Um, you write beautifully about clothes. I really <laughs> noticed that. It was <laughs> like, it really stood out to me that, 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 that there's a lot of um, a very detailed visual imagining that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you said, you know, you've worked in the theater and things like mm-hmm. that. When you're writing, do you, do you see, like you said about Zorka's eyebrows, but do mm-hmm. you see a very clear picture all the time?
2: Uh, not so much a picture, but I definitely move through pictures, so I do, even though it's funny, I, I haven't done film, but I very much think as I'm writing, I kind of move through it like a camera, but at the same time, it's not, um, you know, I've played around with screenwriting, and for me, that that experience is completely different. For some reason, when I screenwrite, I have to think about it a completely different way, so it's not that I'm writing it that way because it's just like, oh, this books should really be a film, but it's not. I really enjoy discovering prose in that way. Um, And yeah, it's kind of like, I love that, you know, you're walking down and there's something around the corner and you're gonna turn to see it. And that's all you can do. You can't know, you can't see it. You know, you can't put a word there before your mind's eye can see it. So it's that sort of approach.
0: You do so many different kinds of art. Um, which I think is really cool, first of all. And second of all, I, it just made me think about what it's, I, it's a little bit what you were talking about just now, just how other kinds of art influence mm-hmm. your writing. And I wonder if you think that, especially maybe being a visual artist has, mm-hmm. has changed the way you write.
2: Um, yeah, I don't know if it's changed the way I write because it's both those things have been, or, I mean, I've been writing and also like doodling and everything my whole life. Um, I think it's just because I'm such a visual person sometimes to be able to um, I guess find a find some sort of release or satisfaction creatively I need to not use words Um, but I can never fully leave words behind so I think and, and the same kind of goes with like colors and spaces so I'm kind of like you know, groping around, figuring out, sometimes those two things will interlap. Like sometimes when I'm working on a novel, I have to step back and sort of doodle around or draw or paint or not for the, not because it's a project itself, but because I can't figure out my way otherwise. Um, So I like that they're all rooms that I have at my disposal.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you you said that writing wasn't a release um, and Mm -hmm. that maybe visual art is. do you, do you find writing really difficult? How, how do you How do you find writing? Yeah.
2: I actually well, I, writing is very much a release. <laughs> okay. I'd say yeah. yeah
0: yeah, both are, but
2: in different ways it, it's kind of d- depending on what's going on and what what is being released. Um, no, I find uh, I, I find writing one of the, the ease I mean the, the equivalent I guess would be swimming. like once you learn how to swim, it's you'll never drown unless. Uh, you know, like, uh, unless something can fully take over and incapacitate your whole body. And I feel it's that same way, like, I'm completely free and really happy when I'm writing unless there's some sort of um, mental judgment or something like that that will fully um, incapacitate my body where I can't flutter around at least a little bit. But otherwise, I'm such a happy camper.
0: That's really great. Yeah, because we interview writer, writers who do not say that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: and and I I, re, I respect that as well. I think it's that doesn't mean that there aren't difficult things in the process. But when my fingers are tickling the keyboard, I'm very happy. That yeah. sometimes when I step back and I'm rereading, editing, yeah, no, that's. I'm not going to claim everything's easy. But.
1: No, the editorial space is a really different mm. thing, isn't it? It's a, it can be very brutal. Mm. Um, do you read the work of other writers while you're writing, or do you kind of lock yourself off from influences? Uh,
2: no, I definitely re- I mean, I can't not read, so I'm usually reading something, but I'm quite sensitive in terms of sometimes I'll really want to read a book, but I'll put it off because it's, it's just going to interfere in some way with, with a project that I'm doing. But... Um, and then sometimes I'm, I prioritize books that, you, like I did, I read memoirs of um, of people that grew up in Prague, Czechoslovakia Prague at that time, just to make sure I, you know I was getting the facts right. So I prioritize research things while I'm doing the project. But.
0: And finally, what, what are you working on next? Can you say anything about the next novel project thing?
2: Well, I'm always uh, kind of working on multiple things, but I'm working on a third novel, and I am also uh, continuing to dabble a little bit with film and with visual art, but I can't specifically talk about any
0: of those projects (laughs) yet. Fair enough. We will respect your privacy (laughs) in that respect. Okay, so I think that seems like a good point to move on to our book recommendations. So what we're going to do now is just each give a recommendation of a book that we have read recently, it doesn't have to have been published recently or it doesn't indeed have to have been published quite yet <laughs> yeah. in the case of um, Yelena's book, I think. But Octavia, do you want to start us off? I will start us off. Um, so the book I'm recommending
1: came to me in the best way possible, which was thrust into my hands in a paper bag by a friend who came <laughs> to meet me at the library and was like, I've got you this, you have to read it, you're going to love it. And uh, she was right. It's called The Lady in the Little Fox Fair by a French writer called Violet Leduc. Um, or Le Duc, translated by Derek Coltman. So the French title, excuse me while I try this, La Femme au Petit Renard, um, it was first published in 1965 and it's very slim, it's just a little novella and it, it's, ju- it's exquisitely beautiful, the, the writing is completely transformative. Um, it's very lyrical, it's very intimate. I can, that, the best way I can describe it is intimate. You're, you're very much within this woman's physical experience. She's old, she's poor, she's living in Paris, she's hungry, she's so hungry. And you get this sense of this hunger for food, but also for touch and for love. And it's about isolation, urban isolation, but also the different choices that you have to make when your back's against the wall because of poverty. And so at one point she chooses between um, a bread roll or going into the subway to feel warm to other people, you know, mm. and, and these different forms of hunger and the different forms that they take. The, the writer explores it so beautifully. Um, Deborah Levy wrote an introduction to this edition, and she I'm a big fan of hers anyway, and she says, Violet Leduc's novels are works of genius and also a bit peculiar, <laughs> which is <laughs> totally right. Um, the writing takes you down some slightly strange alleyways, but you know, it's, it's so beautifully controlled. You never feel like she's going to drop you. Um, and, and I love reading the work of writers like that where you're happy to go to really uncomfortable places because you trust them and you know they're not going to leave you there <laughs> abandoned yeah. and cold um, and it's also just, yeah, it's very humane it's very physical so you're right in all of these textures and um, she describes things like at one point there's a, a crack in a paving stone and she describes it as though it's going to stab her so it's, mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. somebody who's experiencing the world in a state of complete skinlessness which I think... You know, many people can can identify with that experience. If you if you're suffering from depression or you're feeling alienated in some way, just walking down a street can feel like a, a strange assault. Um, but she makes it tender. So it's yeah, it's it's be, it's a beautiful, beautiful book, um, and uh, and also a very faithful description of Paris, which is a city that is close to my heart and and no. obviously yours. So <laughs> I think I think you'd get a kick out of it. Also, there's something in the surreal way that she gets into the body that reminds me a little of your writing so yeah anyway there you go big Mm -hmm. big thumbs up from me
0: i had i struggled through violet when i was learning french and i think understood like every third word so my experience of reading her was weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i should i should read this english translation yeah Yeah. it's a very (laughs) good translation
1: as well it's really a very very good translation cool
0: that sounds amazing we have your recommendation, Yelena. Yeah,
2: so uh, this book I uh, just received, and it's not yet out. It's going to be out in May. It's called The Polyglot Lovers by Alina Wolf, who's a Swedish writer, uh, translation Saskia Vogel, mm-hmm. uh, uh, put out with And Other Stories, which is such a great publishing house. Um, they do a lot of just, re- I love reading books in translations, so they do a lot of uh, things like that. But so The Polyglot Lovers is this kind, it's also a bit surreal, but it has a, a very cinematic feel to it. It's quite kind of Scandinavian Gothic. It's about this, uh, and at the same time quite modern. It's about this like 30 something year old woman from a small town in uh, Sweden that goes online to find love and meets this uh, man that lives in Stockholm and decides to take a train to meet him in person. And um, so, and he ends up being this literary critic that's obsessed with Michelle Ulbeck. And she gets basically stranded at his house, and in his living room or in his reading room, there's this uh, manuscript that's called *The Polyglot Lovers*, that basically is going to set off this all all, the way that certain lives are going to be intertwined. But it becomes like a story within a story within a story because you'll you'll meet the author that wrote the book, and also this kind of mysterious. I won't give it away, but this like woman with glowing skin and sort of blame red hair who's blind, who like will wander in, and um, so it's kind of like a, a Russian doll style storytelling. Um, but it's also, what I love about it, um, it has that sort of old school thriller tension that you find in maybe like the early like Brian De Palma films or with Daphne du Maurier, who I really love. Um, it re- really reminded me of a story of hers called um, Kiss Me Again, Stranger which I also highly recommend to read that story. Um, but, uh, but the, the thing, uh, uh, besides sort of this very immersive atmosphere, the thing that I love is the way that she's able to very subtly but um, very poignantly and cleverly um, critique sort of um, literary misogyny. <laughs> and she does it just so. So subtly, I'm not gonna, I'll let you discover how, how it happens, but it's, um, uh, it's just done in a way where you're so wrapped up in this sort of like Scandinavian um, ice storm and the, these, you know, very eccentric characters, and all of a sudden you're hit with very meaningful observations um, about the place of women as subject and also writers in the literary world,
0: so.
1: That sounds great.
0: Yeah. That sounds really wonderful.
1: Also, Saskia Vogel, the translator, just had her novel out yes. yesterday, I, which, which I haven't read it yet. No, but, no neither. It's on yeah. my list. Good permission, yeah. if anyone... Yeah. What, what about three <laughs> Yeah, this year um, Well, I am
0: not recommending translated fiction. Get out. I know. <laughs> mm. um, I'm also recommending a book that I don't really think needs a recommendation. And I suspect a lot of people in this room have probably already read it, but it's what I'm reading right now, and I would like to recommend it. Um, and it's called, I don't know if you've heard of it, Becoming by Michelle Obama. <laughs> um, no, but but what why I want to recommend this book is because I tend to shy away from celebrity memoirs. I think, you know, they're usually written with other people, they're usually bland recitations of what have happened in people's lives, and they really don't give you insight into the characters of these people, which is exactly why you're reading an autobiography in the first place. And I really do not feel that way about this book. Um, I think it is legitimately actually good. Um, I know. Really high bar there. But I, Well, first of all, I think she's a really good... She's a beautiful writer. She's quite straightforward. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing... There's no sort of purple prose or or beautiful metaphors or anything like this, but it's really straightforward, good, solid, thoughtful writing. Um, But on top of that, it's a book that I think is thinking incredibly deeply about America, about what it means to be African American in America, about how Michelle Obama was able to succeed in a world set up basically for her not to succeed and how difficult that was, but also, you know, just telling her story in this way that exposes the myth of um, American meritocracy, all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I'm really enjoying reading it. I mean, all of the stuff about her childhood is fascinating. I really liked especially reading about when she went to Princeton, which is this incredibly white privileged space and how she navigated that. But then just, you know, getting a sense of what it's like to be living in the White House as the First Lady, as the First Family, as the, the first Black First Family in the White House, the spa- space that was literally built by slaves. Um, I mean, and just having her write that and thinking about that is, is amazing. Um, and she has this great uh, anecdote at the very beginning, which I think, who, if that was her idea or if it was an editor's idea, it was it was a great recommendation for how to start a book. Where she talks about when she finally, um, it, they aren't living in the White House anymore, and she gets up in the middle of the night and makes herself a cheese sandwich, or I think it's a grilled cheese actually. And she said that would have been absolutely impossible when we were living in the White House because you know, a cook would have come downstairs and been like, oh, let me make this cheese sandwich for you. And then she would have had to wait and I would have waken up all these other people. And like, I guess what I'm saying is if you have been avoiding this book because you think, oh, everyone's buying it just because they're obsessed with Michelle Obama and it doesn't have anything interesting to say as a book, I say, no, <laughs> read it. Um, it's it's really great. And I can't wait to keep reading it.
1: Yes, I've been, I would like to read it. And I'm not normally attracted to Celebrity memoirs either. Yeah. That is wild though to think that
0: the white house was built by slaves it was and built by yeah. slaves yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 well thank you so much that is that's our show today as we say on the podcast um and thank, <laughs> thank you. you to Yelena moscovich you've been wonderful thank you so much um to jewish book week to your audience for your wonderful questions and for sticking with us for an hour um yeah yeah, great. you can check us out. Please um, find us on Twitter. We're a podcast. Um, we're also on NTS, which is an online radio station. Mm-hmm. And you can download
1: us on iTunes, many other places wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Um, and with that, we'll say good night. Have a lovely evening, and thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you.
0: you. Thank you.